Today on Sagittarian Matters, advice, games, love, money, and more with my very special guest, Maddie Court. Stay tuned. Maddie Court is a writer and a zine maker. You may know her from her internet handle, Xena Warrior Princess. Maddie's new book, The Ex-Girlfriend of My Ex-Girlfriend is My Girlfriend, is an almanac of relationship advice for queer women with art and comics by Kelsey Roten. It's a beautiful book, it's hot pink, and it's available for pre-order right now with Chronicle Books. Run, don't walk, order it now. I've personally been a fan of Maddie's advice her zines, and her memes for years. She's a lover of rescue pit bulls, and if I'm not mistaken, she has some planets in and some chart alignments in Sagittarius. Now, please enjoy my talk with new friend to the show and esteemed advice giver, Maddie Court. Like you tell people your advice and then if they don't take it, at least I I feel, do you feel like sometimes people already know the answer when they're asking their question? Yes. Most people know what they have to do. Like most people know that their relationship isn't working. Their problems with like not wanting to break up with that person are usually like, you know, rooted in something else. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think it's like fun for people. It's like a kind of attention. It makes you feel special. Um, But yeah, I mean, people are going to do whatever they want to do. And there's something about it that feels different than a therapist. Because like a therapist you're going to and they, they know the breadth of your emotional trauma and your story and they can go into more. And an advice columnist is just like someone, it's like a friend, it's like a super wise friend. So they're reaching out to you. And they're like, here's my situation. Instead of you digging deep and being like, does this remind you of your mother? Yes. It gets to be you saying like, you know, it just sounds like you're not into that person anymore. Yeah, it's more direct. Um, people often want their therapist to tell them what to do. And of course, that's not what therapists do. <laughs> um, but yeah, especially advice column or advice people. Like I really like Esther Perel's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's so direct and she gives specific, these like kind of um, instructions for people. Yeah. I think people really want instruction. Well, it's like, so hard. I mean, especially in like the, the market you serve, especially like as a young queer person coming up, you don't have those kind of marks of achievement in queer life, or you don't really have like a way spread out for you as like the heteronormative you know, markers of success are like, okay, you're going to date and then you're going to get engaged and you're going to get married and you're going to have a kid and have a house and have a dog. And like, that's a successful, that's like the like capitalist heteronormative idea of success. So here's your guidebook, but with queer people, we're forging our own path. And so it's so nice that you have this service where people can come to you and say like, is this okay? What about this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wonder what, we have some questions from listeners, okay. but I wonder before we even get to them, what advice would you give your baby dyke self? Oh, my baby dyke self. So I came out when I was 19 and I was really lucky because I went to women's college. So I never felt that like aloneness. And I also had a lot of professors who I really loved who were lesbians or queer. Um, so I, I think I had, also I just think something about me, I did not struggle a lot with internalized homophobia and I'm not sure why, but it just wasn't an issue for me. Um, but my first relationship, which I wrote about in the book was like truly wild, like just like red flags <laughs> left and right. Um, everything about it and I just like truly did not see it as bad but of course like now when I look back 10 years later I'm just like everything about that like was unacceptable (sighs) 
So I think the <laughs> um, advice I would give my baby big self would be that it's okay to be alone and to be single and you're not like less gay or less queer if you're single versus if you're in this relationship that is only a relationship in name, right? Because everything about it is fucked up. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, I feel like everyone has like a bad first relationship. When you were in your first relationship, it was really wild. Yes. And I, I feel like, you know, this is a thing I've had people, I know, I know different friends who had done come kind of the compulsory heterosexuality. Like they just had gone down that, that road, that groove that had been already kind of planned for them and dated guys and felt that they weren't that emotionally invested. And then when they had their first girlfriend, their actual feelings were on the table. So you feel like an adolescent. Yeah. And I think that this, this is part of why I feel like my first couple relationships were so fucking wild is because my actual heart was on the table and I was feeling those animal feelings, but with somebody else that had their own history of whatever. And I just, I was acting my wildest self. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I did not date or have sex until mid college. Uh, And then of course, you know, anytime you're doing something for the first time, even if you don't recognize it as the first time, whether that's like your first vulnerable relationship, the first time you're having sex that feels good to you, it's going to feel like extra special and super heightened. Yeah. And so I just, you know what I I would tell my former self to dial up the self-respect a little bit. Yes. Really like your advice of it's okay to be alone. Yeah. And I would say, you know, if you dial up your self-respect a little bit in these relationships and not cling to them so hard, not white knuckle them, then you may end up having some more alone time. And that is, that's actually awesome time you get to have with yourself. Yeah. And you need to be alone to be in a relationship. Like when you're single, that's when you do all the work on yourself. And often like when the people you're meant to date come into your life. But if you're just like holding on so tight to this relationship that feels like it's full of conflict and drama and like you're hiding secrets from each other, that can be addictive in its own way, but it is just a time suck for like what you should be doing. I find that like a lot of times too, people feel like they're doing someone a huge favor by staying in a bad relationship with them. Yes. And often I'm just like, you know, you can actually let them have, let them be free to go find whatever they're weird soulmate is yeah so I have only had one breakup where I had to like sit someone down and be like this isn't working for like x and x reasons all my other breakups have been like a fight or they've been pretty mutual you know in the in the lesbian tradition um but what made me want to do that even though I'm not really someone who is good at confrontation was I knew that this person I was dating really wanted to be married and wanted to like have a family and be in a relationship. And I was like, the kindest thing I could do would be to give this person feedback. Cause there's a lot that I feel like is kind of getting in the way. Um, and it's so scary to, to talk to someone, but then, you know, it's over in like an hour (laughs) (laughs) and it's fine. And then (laughs) it's over. I feel like I want to keep you in my head saying like, this is scary, but it's over in like an hour. Yeah. And you can focus like when you're in eighth grade and you're afraid to give a speech, they always tell you to like focus on the end of your speech and how, how you feel, you know? And that's what I, that's what I always tell my friends, you know, who are afraid to break up with somebody. you like, just focus on that. This is going to be this, this, this is going to, this conversation is going to end. Exactly. And, you know, I'm also a pretty big component of like, if you feel like there's a conversation that you cannot have face to face or, you would be in front of someone and you would be really pulling your punches. I do think it's okay to text somebody. I don't know how you feel. I know it's controversial. I think it, I guess it depends. It depends on how long. I think short, short term things can be solved with with a text or a phone call. But, you know, for longer form things, in person feels like, like if I'm like Miss Manners, I feel like yeah. it serves that. Um, but gosh, any, any conversation like that is so hard, but I feel like the harder thing is the lead up to it when people just feel guilty or bad or uh, muddled or unhappy, but they don't want to break up with them. And like, I feel like the lead up to a breakup is generally for me much, much worse 
than just actually once you've said the thing and they're like, are you, what are you saying? Are you saying we're breaking up? And then you're like, yes. Like, yeah. Like after that moment, you're going to feel sad, but at least you don't feel, you don't have that impending kind of doom feeling, which is worse for me. Absolutely. I think you wrote, you had an advice column and into rest in mm-hmm. peace into. And I remember that you wrote, if you're like thinking about the breakup, that's a sign and you compared it to putting the pet down, which is super real. Cause you're just like, when am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? And it's actually like, probably like once you're thinking about it, it's a sign that you should do it. I think the bigger problem, especially like with queer women though, is a like actually like deciding to break up and not just like talking into death, but then after the breakup, being able to actually go separate ways. Because mm. I just see like my friends constantly like trying to be friends right away or trying to have these like bizarre relationships where like there's no sex, but they seem to still be dating <laughs> in every other possible way. Um, and even seasoned lesbians, I know, you know, are still living with people, are still really, really involved in each other's lives. I wonder if there's like an initial sense of relief when people break up or like the, the burden of like, I'm not meeting your needs. You're not meeting my needs. It's lifted. Yes. Like they've like let each other free of that agreement that they're there, that they're going to meet each other's needs. And so then they get to like, kind of, they're just trying to like relish in that, that feeling of like, Oh, I do like this person. And look, I'm, I'm totally free to have it however I want. Yeah. But then maybe there's like fear and then it's like, well, we need to like be back together. I also think often like when you have a breakup, just like the rule of goddesses or I don't know, <laughs> you like two other really bad things happen. Mm. Or maybe like you're, you have to move or it shakes up something else in your life. So there's often like the breakup and then there's some other kind of like lesbian life crisis that happens and that can pull people back together. Oh, cause that person is like your, has been your number one and then. I, I mean, I have not been one to try and force a fast friendship after a breakup or when I have like with somebody who I was with for a very, very long time, it's just hard. I mean, and that, that hardness can be part of the like natural process of realizing that you're not meant to be together. It could be like you hang out and you're like, God, I don't even like you right now because you're still yeah. mad at each other or you're still like going through the stages of grief. Um, but I can't, I can't think of any situation where it benefited to try and rush that natural progression of like broken up to friendship. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it doesn't help. And that person is going to be there in a year if you need a year to not speak. I always, I always tell my friends who are going through breakups to just like not talk for three months, because if you do talk, you're just going to keep like rehashing the same and reopening the same wounds and you're going to be obsessed about like if they're dating someone new or not and it would just be so much better if you just didn't speak (laughs) yeah and it doesn't even have to be you know it doesn't have to be like an act of unkindness it can actually just be in service to your relationship which has moved into a friendship to just be like okay we're gonna have no contact I'm gonna unfollow you on Instagram this is not an act of aggression I just don't want to see or I'm going to block you because I just don't even want to think about you watching my stories or being around. I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of blocking. People. Blocking. I think that's a humane thing to do. It really is. Today's episode is brought to you by Leah Engel, Emily Helmus, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Christy Herod, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Or this just in, he's got a Venmo, Hell Books on Venmo. That's H-E double hockey sticks books. Thank you for your support. And we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's voice. And a very special shout out this week to voice actors Will and Ariadne. Thank you for your service. Again. 
That's Ponyo's speaking voice. Don't be scared. Thank you, Will and Ariadne. We appreciate your support. Dear Maddie and Sagittarian Matters, I want to date someone casually, but I need help not crossing any girlfriend lines. I'm guilty. Signed, Guilty in Gilroy. You have to be really upfront from the very beginning. I'm also curious for this person, because I think it's different for everybody. I wonder what is a, what is a girlfriend thing and what is a casual thing? Is it like your friends who have sex, but you don't borrow money from each other? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that's good. Like sit down with yourself. Yeah. And be like, what, what does it mean to, what, is, what would it mean to me if this was going towards like a love zone or a girlfriend zone? Yeah. I wonder if for this person, if it's like time is, is probably for a lot of people, like the amount of time I spend with someone, the amount of checking in we expect each other to do or feels good to us. And those are great because those are things that you can definitely tell somebody, like you can totally tell somebody, Hey, like. I want to be together when we're together, but I'm not really interested in texting you all day. I think another thing that I think I personally have gotten into a road of self-delusion where I'm just like, if I just tell the person my intentions over and over, then that's all I need to do. But I think this, you also kind of can vibe when someone else is crossing that line, despite your protests, despite you being like, this is casual. And someone's like, okay, you know, and they kind of just feel like maybe if they, they can, you know, just stick around long enough, maybe you'll change your mind or something. So I think that those actual boundaries are really helpful. Yeah, that's true. And I also would urge anybody listening, like, if you feel like you're in something to change somebody's mind, or like, just get out of that situation. You have to really believe people when they tell you what they want. I think that's like, some of the most valuable advice. That's something I would like to pin to my, um, baby dyke self yeah my young self is like just believe people when they tell you who they are and what they want yeah and if it seems like somebody is not into you they're not into you yeah what are, one of my friends that is <laughs> somebody i know once said anything that's not a yes is a no and that was really helpful for me because it was the kind of thing where you're like i don't know if this person likes me but they're kind of around but maybe like it just a kind of like yeah like it's my job to make this person like me and if i look a certain way and I jump through these hoops, I will be this desirable partner, which what this is bringing up for me is like when I was a teenager, I loved to read like 17 and YM and all of those teen magazines. And that is like kind of the gist is that like boys will like you if you make yourself into like this kind of dream girl, but real life isn't like that. And people often just like you for being you. I also just listened to the Michelle T um, most recent Michelle T podcast that you did. And you had a really good conversation about just moving on from a crush. Oh God. What do we say? Make a list of all the embarrassing crushes you've had over the course of your life to remember, to put it in perspective. <laughs> I think you just, I think Michelle used like, a, you know, gather up your dignity and go home. <laughs> <laughs> I like I, Oh, do you remember ever from reading YM? there was advice that it was like one of those, like, how do I tell if he likes me? And they were like, if, or how do I show him? I like him. And like, if somebody touches you when they're talking, it means that they like you. So it basically was yeah. like, show him you like, it. yeah, it was like, just like when he used to be like, like, like a little pat or like a little. Yeah. Well, it would be like a body language expert. So they would have advice on body language. Or I remember reading like to touch an area of your body that you want someone to look at casually oh. <laughs> you're like just yeah like you're a, like my, my non-existent cleavage <laughs> <laughs> you're just pointing at your own nipples while they're talking yeah to you. <laughs> <laughs> my incredible sense of humor is like my conversation skills are what I'm playing at um me in high school I'm just like I'm really good at playing clarinet <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then they would also have like so they would do like analysis of like celebrity paparazzi photos so it would just be like a photo of like the cast of the OC and then they would have someone be like Adam Brody clearly is interested in Marissa based on how it's so so funny but 
that is how like a lot of people think of relationships where they're just like trying to do this witchcraft and read between the lines and say the exact perfect thing. But actually if you like somebody and they like you, you just have to talk to them. Yeah. And I, I feel like the times where I've found myself like cycling or like the, uh, like a pining, like if someone is, if it's such a thing where it's not just someone's meeting you there and they're excited to get your call and they're excited to talk to you and they pick up the phone or, you know, they respond to you. If you're having to do more pining and more work and more like self kind of like, what's wrong with me? Maybe I can do this. Maybe it's like, that is the time to gather up your dignity. I think. Yeah. It's not worth it. And I don't think it's always like intentional on the other person's part, but nobody should make you feel like you're at an audition. No, I, I remember once I, I heard someone say that they, they had been with someone where it felt like they were playing to the back of the room. Like they just really had that instinct to like, like cut through, Oh, forget all the people that are willingly here to love me. I am going to try my hardest to get the person who's like not laughing at my jokes. I'm going to tap dance harder. I'm just going to work harder. Yeah. And then I'm going to feel this sense of like, yeah, I got them. And to me, for me personally, that's an unhealthy feeling. Like I can tell when I'm doing that. I can tell when I'm like pandering or self-abandoning to be like, if I just work harder, maybe yeah. you'll give me like a fraction or a scrap of the thing I want. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best pieces of advice a roommate ever gave to me was like, if that person doesn't text you back, they're the one who's blowing it. Not you. Absolutely. I, at the time it was revelatory. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for this person who just wants to date casually, Mm. what I want to say to them is like, you can, yeah, communicate so clearly sometimes and people will not listen because often, you know, people who have been socialized as women or have, you know, experience living in this world, um, as a woman, like, do you have this mindset? That's like, I'm always performing. I'm like doing my tricks, you know? And it's, it's so unhealthy. Yeah. It it can be the more humane thing to do, as you were saying, to just walk away. Yeah. If you see that someone wants what you're not selling and they're just trying harder to get it, that's a line. Dear Maddie and Sagittarius Matters, I met someone on Lex in the summer for a plant barter. She has a long distance girlfriend. She and I have been texting and done social distance hangouts. I could see us as more than friends, but I'm not sure if she and her girlfriend are open and I don't want to mess up the friendship thus far. What do I do from quandary in Quebec? (laughs) I was, I was going to say Plantasia. Oh, from Plantasia. I really like from, from signed Plantasia. Yeah. All right. What does this person do? Well, if you're talking to somebody, it doesn't seem weird to me to be like, hey, is your relationship open? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious why this person has an ass because if you are also interested in an open relationship, you're going to have to do a lot of that kind of communication, that kind of asking questions. So just, I mean, get used to it. Yeah. And then if they're like, yeah, things are open, maybe that could lead into a conversation about how you feel. This feels like a classic thing, which I know you touch on in your book of people getting a crush on a friend and then not wanting to mess up the friendship by saying this thing. What is your general advice for that situation, which feels so universal? And it might be the same as your advice for this situation. So you cannot pretend to know how other people are going to feel. And I also think like the sense that if you have a crush on somebody and they're just like, I don't like you back. Like, it's not like that for me. That feels like straight culture that that would ruin your friendship. It feels like this kind of like prescribed way that people behave. Whereas if this is like a somewhat semi-decent human, um, which I assume, you know, people who do plan exchanges, they're probably, you know, good kind people. uh, She's probably just going to be like, you know, I don't feel like that, but it's okay. And I would like to be friends. If if I told someone like, if I told a friend, Hey, I have a crush on you and they were a dick about it. 
I would just be like, I don't need this person in my life. It's also, I think, sometimes tied to like internalized homophobia and feeling like creepy for liking your friends, which you're not at all. Um, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think the only reason why this person, if they are of the white of the way that I think they are, the only reason why they would feel creeped out or like, oh, no, would be if you acted like very like, mopey, pushy, pouty. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, I guess I'm just not good enough for you. Like if you like put on a whole song and dance, like some theatrics about your unlovability or their problem this makes things weird. I can't be around you because you said no to me. That feels very dude. It feels like a very dude thing to do. And it feels like you're really overestimating like your own importance in each other's lives. You're kind of assuming like, I will be devastated if you don't like me back versus like, you know, you might be a little sad. You might feel disappointed um, or like you made yourself vulnerable and which is scary for everybody. But it doesn't say anything about you as a person that your friend doesn't like you. Oh my God. Like the advice of my life that I just still have to, I feel like I need to carve it into my hand. Like Harry Potter is just like quit taking it personally. Like it's so easy for me to take other people's perspective of me, other people's reactions and responses to me personally. And to be like, that must be the truth. Forget anything I know about myself. This must be the truth. What this person I've known for three weeks from a plant exchange is saying about me. Absolutely. Well, we tend to dwell on bad experiences, right? And like the rejections that we have versus all of the other people in our lives that we're happy about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think the stakes are higher during the pandemic because it is a bigger deal to meet up with people. And I think a lot of people are realizing how important their relationships are to them. So I do feel that it can feel extra heightened (laughs) during a time when like you're not allowed to date technically or dating is there's a lot of rules <laughs> for dating. Um, I understand feeling more like I can't lose the relationships that I have. I can't mess with my budding friendship slash crush on someone. Dear Maddie and Sagittarian Matters, how do I meet queer friends in the real world after the pandemic if I don't like going out? From Lonely in Lancaster. I think you have to do activities with people that are reoccurring and structured. Just like I know for me, like when I go back to Philadelphia, the people that I want to see are people that I worked at a coffee shop, this like coffee shop with, or people that I volunteer with. I don't personally, like I do sometimes enjoy going to a bar, but I don't meet people at bars. Maybe I'll like talk to like a stranger, but I'm not like, here's my number. And now we're going to text each other. I don't think that's how most people meet. Most people meet through friends of friends or through work or some kind of, I guess like volunteering. I love, I mean, I always try to tell people to make friends through volunteering. I can't tell how many people actually take me up on this as advice, but that's been the easiest way. And I know that you say this in your book, and this is like a very common question is how do I make friends as an adult? But um, for me, it, it is like that. Okay. Here's a cause that I know we both care about and we both care about it enough to give up time for it. So that's a different, that's like showing another kind of person you are. And I like the recurring thing as a workaholic. I feel that sometimes like if I have like a project to do with somebody, I will be sure that we're going to have that plan and that our friendship will continue. We'll be able to see each other without like spontaneously, like you want to hang out. Yeah. I also think that people get embarrassed because they're like, oh, it's so pathetic that I don't have friends. But actually it takes a long time. Like, I think if you move someplace new, or you're in some kind of situation where like, you just don't know a lot of people. I think it takes like sometimes three years to feel like you really have a community somewhere. And that doesn't make you a freak. It just means that other people are super busy and people are really into their partners. And I'm getting to the age where like people are starting to get married and really locked down. And I, I do feel like it's harder, harder to meet new people. I've had times where I just felt really, even though, you know, and this is like, it's cyclical, like this person, don't forget that you already have friends that exist in the world. But like, for me, it's been like, I sometimes there have been times when some of my very best friends were all locked down in relationships at once. And then I was like a single person being like, you want to hang out? And like, oh, we're staying in tonight together. 
do you want to come over and do this? Oh no, sorry. I mean, you know, we need to have our weekend together. And it just felt really lonely. And so then I had to kind of look around and be like, who are the friends I'm taking for granted? Who are the other friends that are in my position of being single and or available to hang out that maybe like, I was like, no, I want this harder. I want, or I want this other person. Like, it's like that kind of like just awareness and then acceptance. Like I'm accepting these people have another priority right now. And then action like, okay, well, what am I going to do then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm taking this person's question a little deeper. They're just like, come on, just tell me how to meet some more queer friends. Do something that has to do with social work, social justice, social work. You're going to find queer people. Yeah. And I think that it could even just be as easy as like volunteering to chop vegetables in a kitchen. What do you think about book clubs? About book clubs? Yeah. Well, book club is a really good idea. Like either just like reaching out to somebody, like seeing if there's already a book club you could join or starting a book club in your area. Yeah, you could put up a poster at like a feminist bookstore. Yeah, anything that is structured and you have something to talk about will bring out a lot of people who, because I assume if you don't like to go out to bars, you probably don't like unstructured time around people and you probably don't like to drink. Um, And that's totally fine because lots of people are like that and those people want to go to book clubs. I've also seen a lot of ads of people starting book clubs on Lex. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's not, you know, and it's not like a snobby thing. You know, I like things that kind of take away the pretension of like a bar or a show or like a thing, you know, where like, I just like something that just strips it all away. And it's like, oh no, anybody can come here. Anybody who's willing to do this nerdy thing can come nerd out with this group of other people. Yeah. I would also say doing TV viewings. Maybe if you live in a warm place, you can do it outside um, or post pandemic. But yeah, TV is also something that, like I love to go watch a TV show weekly. That's something that I've really been like longing for. <laughs> the world is waiting for you. And it's a game-mazing world. I'm Karen Thompson. And I'm Nicole J. Georges. And we're the hosts of The Game-Mazing Race, a new limited series podcast about The Amazing Race, your favorite reality competition show from an LGBTQ point of view. We are going to talk to game-mazing guests, including Oswald Mendez, Team Guido, the Married Lesbian Ministers, and more. Plus, we will learn behind-the-scenes gossip, trivia, we'll talk about gay villains, the closet, archetypes, processing challenges that we just can't forget, and more. And beyond that, you'll also have a game-mazing soundtrack scored by The Kaya Wilson. This music has been described as Enya-esque with Drew Wittick energy. So listen to us, The Gay Amazing Race, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have favorite questions or do you have questions that you wish people would ask you that you have a lot to say about? Oh, I wish people would ask me questions about money and relationships and nobody ever does. There's one question in the book about someone who has found themselves in a situation where they're supporting their partner and they feel like they didn't really agree with it and they're not sure if they have a right to be angry. But I feel like money is so emotional. Everybody has a different relationship to it. It's like often rooted in trauma and class and all of these messy things. But nobody ever asked me questions about money. What, can I ask you a question about money? Yes. What, what should I ask you? I want to ask you like how, gosh, how to deal. Do you have advice on how to deal with money in a partnership? Or how to approach talking about money in a partnership? I think it's a really healthy thing to sit down and have a conversation that it's just about money. Um, because it kind of helps you focus on like just that one thing whereas often money like for me I know I'm always trying to like slip it in to another conversation I have a lot of anxiety that like if somebody pays for dinner or they get groceries they're going to be mad at me or they're going to like secretly resent me for covering that and I never want that to be a thing I don't know do you Nicole it's hard Well, I think I feel a couple ways about it. You know, I do. I have that kind of anxiety too of, I have an anxiety of like, I want to make it right. I want to make it square. Yeah. So like if somebody, um, 
Like I remember I had a, a long-term partner I lived with and I remember they would get annoyed almost that I, this was not a time of Venmo where you can just be like, click, I just paid you back for dinner. I would like sort of get out my laptop and get on PayPal and start like, just interrupt whatever we were doing and like pull out a damn computer and start like PayPaling them money to be like, Oh God, Oh God, I got to pay you back for this yeah. thing. And they were like, you don't need to do that. You're stressing me out. Like not everything has to be so like, you know, 50, yeah. 50 like that accounting wise, but that's just my own My anxiety was running the show. Absolutely. Yeah. But now I think I'm interested to know things you think about money because I think, um, it makes sense. There is kind of like a Susie Orman thing that I've heard about forthhand, which is basically like, you know, if you live with somebody and you make different amounts of money, you could agree to stagger the bills based on who makes more money and what. And so I wonder if that's something that can go forth into relationships. Like, Hey, it makes sense for the person who makes more to cover dinner a little more often. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same percentage of their income and it's okay. And everyone just gets to have that conversation and just relax and be like, it's okay. It doesn't mean that the person who makes like the person who's like living off student loans or the person who makes minimum wage has to buy as many dinners. Or for me, it's always been like, if I want something that's nicer than someone else does or vice versa, the person who wants the nice thing is a person who has to be willing to pay for that thing. If it's an experience yeah. you're both going to have. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is so smart because it kind of captures that there's emotion around money. So oftentimes when I'm in a mood where like, I have to pay someone back, I have to Venmo $8, right? It's because I've been in situations where like, I did really need someone to pay me back. And I appreciated it so much when somebody saw that and like, didn't make me ask or didn't make me follow up. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's, that's really smart. And yeah, and you're right. And you can like think more and it can be more creative than like, everything. I don't know. Have you dated people who have to split everything 50, 50 where like, it was a hard and fast rule and they never like, they never picked up a tab. Everything had to be split. Gosh, I don't, maybe, you know, it's, it's, you know, for me, I've been like a self-employed or nonprofit employed person my entire adult life. And I have no safety net. Like I don't come from a family that has money that I get or anything. And so I kind of just think about like relationships I was in where I was more broke. And so my anxiety around money was higher. And I was also dating people that were like artists that didn't have any money. Yeah. So I, I feel like as I've gotten older, the only reason that the anxiety has become less is because I have a little bit more self-sufficiency to like have a nice thing without it being like, oh my God, if you don't pay me back right now, I'm going to die. Or the faith that there's like more money coming Mm -hmm. often if you're a working class or poor like you don't have that you're just like oh no if I like blow my budget like that's it I might not be able to pay rent and it's very hard to like unentrench yourself from that yeah so when I think about your question of like have I ever dated someone where everything was 50 50 I think if I did it was because everybody was living in scarcity mode yeah and so every and everybody was like oh my god we got something nice quick 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 quick, quick. <laughs> let's try in yeah, yeah get our money. And that, that's a stressful place to be. Yeah. I do think in a relationship though, like it can be very liberating to be like, you know what? Like, I don't want to go to eat because it, I don't want to spend the money. Um, I've definitely been in relationships where I felt like I couldn't say that because the other person would be disappointed um, or angry, but it's really liberating to just be like, I don't have money to do that. Or like, I'm just not comfortable spending money on festival tickets. I don't know. I don't know what people buy. I don't know what people were buying before the pandemic. <laughs> I don't even remember. I think movie tickets? <laughs> movie tickets, concert tickets. I mean, there, there is some book when I was in white river junction, there was, there was some book called like the gift, which was some guy being like, everything is a flow. And so like, if you buy dinner for someone one night, don't stress about it. Just know that someday in the future, they'll buy you dinner too. And that the sense of, a sense of ease around money does not come naturally to me because of the way I grew up. With people who are very bad with money and often didn't have money. And so I don't have that sense of like, oh yeah, everything will come back to me. Don't even worry about it. Who cares? But I aspire to a sense of a little more ease. Yeah. With that. I mean, like, oh. I was gonna say, it is really beautiful in a relationship where you do feel that though, where you're like, I'm going to pay for something and they'll cover something or maybe like I'm spending more money, but they're doing more work around the house. That's, that's kind of like the ideal. 
But I think talk actually like having conversations about money does ensure that nobody feels like they're overextending themselves and nobody feels like they're offering help that like they're not in a position to give. But I, I don't know. Yeah, it is emotional. And I think people also feel badly about feeling badly about money. Something that I really have only gotten into in the past, maybe five years is gratitude lists, which sounds very like very gay. It's just like a gratitude lists. But I think it's important when thinking about your relationship with your partner, and if you're getting a little bit like keeping score or like who's doing what, is to have like your gratitude list. Like you may have your resentment list already, depending on like your attachment style or how you feel or your anxiety, like where you're like, they didn't pay for this or they didn't pay for that. But then if you sit down, you're like, what do they offer this relationship? What did they bring? What are the other ways that they're showing up for me and that they're providing for me that are not like, you know, giving me the electric bill on time or... Yeah, that's a bad example, but you know, what are other ways that they're showing up for the relationship? Can I accept their other love languages or their other kind of like bids? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just fostering a sense of like, not, they're not being like shame around money. Oh no. I mean, it's just, it's so hard. I feel like when you start to talk about money, you often tap into so much. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, people have like their entire lineage, their family's history with money, what it means for them to have money or not have money as someone who came from that lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's often like a, you're often going to learn about somebody's traumas. The time you like didn't get a yearbook in elementary school because your parents didn't have money and you felt embarrassed. All of these <laughs> awful things. Maddie, is there anything else that you, is there any last parting piece of wisdom that you feel like you want to tell young queer people of the world or just queer people of the world? Ooh. Well, one cool thing about quarantine is that I've been getting a lot of questions from people who want to make zines or are like trying to become writers. Um, and maybe they have more time to think about that. Um, yeah and I think my advice is to like just do it (laughs) and to not be so afraid of what other people think I don't know I don't have any like specific advice but when I get questions like that I'm always just like yeah like you should make a zine you don't need anybody's permission to start a newsletter or start a podcast or start a zine and it doesn't have to be good right you can't even don't even worry about the g word (laughs) no it just doesn't even it just gets to exist yeah. But yeah, there's just like so much anxiety that people put on themselves. And I do it too, of course, where I'm like, Me too. I'm like, the thing that I'm putting on the page is not the thing in my head. So I should just quit. Oh yeah. But it's just, I think it's a practice to like get to that point where the thing coming out of you is closer to the thing coming out of your head or the thing mm-hmm. in your head. And it is, it's kind of like with your art or with your zines or whatever, it's kind of like, like Linda Berry says, you know, like your liver is not a beautiful organ, but it's essential. Like you yes. just need, you need your liver to survive and you don't look at it and go, oh, it's ugly or it's bad. It just is what it is. It's just doing something for you and doing your art, doing your writing, just writing. It just has to happen yeah. and for you to emotionally process the world. And so for you to just photocopy that is just one step past that. It's just being like, you know what? This is a function for me. Hopefully it can be a function for somebody else. Yes, absolutely. Oh my God. Wait, do we have a game? Okay, do you want to do Nature Center gift shop or do you want to do Farmer's Market? I think I'd like to start with Nature Center gift shop. Okay, let me pull up the meme. Would you like me to try reading the text of the meme? Oh, yes. Whatever, whatever feels good to you. So this is a meme and the prompt of the meme, meme <laughs> is... You are a baby lesbian on a fifth grade class trip to the nature center. At the end of the day, your teacher lets you loose in the gift shop. That's always the best part of the field trip is you get to go to the gift shop. You have $6 for mowing your neighbor's lawn. What are you getting? (laughs) And some of your options, Nicole, (laughs) at the gift shop are um, a pencil that has been whittled out of a stick. That's $1. For $2.99, you can buy Mexican jumping beans, which are like Um, It truly does look like a bean that jumps when it gets warm in your hand. And what it is, is actually a bug. (laughs) You can buy fool's gold for $2, Mm -hmm. a 
nasty lollipop with like a dead scorpion in it. $5. You've <laughs> got fill your own bag of rocks, $5. Um, <laughs> a journal with a wolf on the cover, $4. Oh, Astronaut ice cream, $3. Um, I don't know what these are called. It's like a rock tumbler rock with like the word hope on it mm-hmm. or like sometimes they're called angel stones my mom used to work in a hospital gift shop oh. so there's a, she has a whole drawer in her house that just is inspiring things written on rocks how much is that rock that's two dollars okay and then shark tooth necklace is six dollars um hand puppet of a raccoon it's probably displayed on like some kind of hat rack that's twelve dollars oh no and then for 39.99 you can buy fossilized fish whoa mm-hmm. can i ask what would you get with your six dollars <sighs> what would i get you know, this is hard because that's, it's never like the ideal amount of money that you have. And when you're a kid, you always want the thing. Like I probably really wanted the $12 hand puppet. Um, I think I'm getting astronaut ice cream because I haven't had it before. <laughs> and I'm curious, like what, what do the astronauts eat? And I'm, I'm getting some stick pencils for my friends, <laughs> for me and for me and three of my best friends. Oh my God. That's really nice of you. Yeah. Okay. I definitely have already purchased this scorpion wallet lollipop in the past from this gift shop and I didn't even eat it. So I'm not going to do it again. You just had it to like, look like a bad girl. I was just like, cool, cool. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and then as a vegan adult, I'm like, what? Come on now. Um, I also would get the stick. I would get a stick pencil. I would not get any for any friends. I would just being honest, get a stick, one stick pencil for me. I would get some astronaut ice cream. It's so delicious. The texture, mm. you're going to love it. So that's $4. <laughs> and then I think I would get the fool's gold. That is like a classic yeah. Nicole move is just to get some fool's gold. Um, I just, you know, I'm into it. And then I, it's like almost, almost valuable, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Like I get that kind of sense of like, Ooh, if I just, you know, I don't know what, if I just manifested this harder, it could be actual gold. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's, isn't gold, but it does have a story. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I like that. Yeah. And I, you know, it, depending on how old I was, I would shoplift the raccoon hand puppet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> depending. Yeah. You know, I, I did imagine that like on a little wooden post, which was in line with yeah. the hat rack you were talking about. But well, yeah, the gift shop it, is, it's full of kids. So it is right time to just grab something. I mean, if I was like a little older, like if I was like the teenager who was there, um, if I was like the teenager that was their chaperone or their helper, I would definitely have stolen that puppet at that point in time. Yeah. I'd be like, you kids look over there. And I'd be like, give me that fucking puppet. Oh, can we do farmer's market? Yeah, we should do farmer's market. Okay, let's do farmer's market. I got to make notes so I can make sure my budget stays intact. Okay. Yeah. All right, farmer's market. Okay. You are a lesbian at the farmer's market. You have $22 in your pocket. What are you getting? So this name was a little controversial. Um, because I base these prices on the farmer's market in Madison, Wisconsin, where baby bok choy is usually like a dollar, I think, because there's a lot of it. There are a lot of, um, Hmong and Laotian farmers, and I think it's something that they grow. So it's not scarce, but somebody told me that in Portland, it's normal to like pay five to $8 for bok choy. $8. (laughs) Jesus. Just so you know, these prices are maybe different from the farmer's market in your area. Okay. okay, so things that you can get at the farmer's market is a freaky heirloom goth tomato is $3. Mm-hmm. Um, ground cherries, which I've called mystery snack are $5 for what I imagine is like a little um, crate of them. Baby back toy, $1. Baked goods from a cult, that pie is $8. And then I have... <laughs> The excuse me, do you have a moment for gay rights? That's zero dollars because you can just walk past or you can donate up to a hundred dollars. That's nice. Then we've got Malabar spinach, which is three dollars. 
pumpkin, five dollars. Mm. Ice coffee, eight dollars. Damn it. <laughs> and you know it's you know it's all ice. Eight dollars? Uh, eight dollars. And you gotta wait in line for it too. Oh so there's a time commitment. Mm-hmm. <sighs> then we've got bittersweet running with an X, zero dollars. Mm. We've got cider that could honestly take it down a notch, eight dollars. And then we've got kohlrabi party and it's six dollars to party with kohlrabi and the last item at the farmer's market is upcycled local art object ten dollars and that's pictured as um a frog that somebody has made out of utensils i I know at the madison farmer's market there's like a lady who makes jewelry out of spoons Mm. So she was my inspiration with that. Wait, what does it mean to party with kohlrabi? That means you get free kohlrabi. Oh, okay. All right, let me look at this for a second. Okay, so I have $22. I'm at the farmer. I'm not going to get that art frog. I know that for sure. I'm not going to get the cider. I'm going to go for the $0 run in with the X. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stand in line for that iced coffee, but get angry. And so then leave that line and spend that money on pie. Yes. Which my scenario is going to be vegan from that place. I'm definitely taking up Madison, Wisconsin on this $1 baby bok choi. Yeah. So let's just say I'm just going to, I'm just going to get two of those for right now. Cause my math is not so good. Um, I don't want to give any money to gay rights. I, I'm going to make a volunteer time instead. Yeah. Um, You've given enough to gay rights. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm going to get some spinach and some kohlrabi. Um, so that's nine. You're like, I'm taking this away. I'm just like doing them. I'm spending every dollar at this place. And then I guess I'm going to meal. Like you're, you're trying to make your groceries last. And I'm going to get tomato. I'm going to enjoy that tomato, the goth tomato. What would you buy at the farmer's market? Okay. I honestly, knowing myself, I'm getting the pie and then I am getting two iced coffees. Mm. Because I'm I like probably, your yeah. Um but I will also maybe I guess I'm over budget, but I often, yeah, I might pick up some spinach and put it in a smoothie. Oh hey, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.